Hello and welcome back. I'm Joe. And I'm TJ. And you're listening to Season 5 of Focus Ed Podcast, where we cover all things education to help you lead better and grow faster by staying focused. Focus Ed is a collaborative program of work with our partners from the Delaware Department of Education and Wilmington University. We record each episode with a live audience and then blast them out to you from our website, theschoolhouse302.com, iTunes, SoundCloud, and more. Don't forget to follow us at theschoolhouse302.com to learn more about when episodes are recorded and for more school leadership resources. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Focus Ed, and we can't wait to hear from you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Focus Ed, where each episode we invite an expert guest to join us. And we are thrilled to have with us William Parker with a focus on leading others, influencing change, and successfully managing the challenges of school leadership. William, welcome to the show. Joe and TJ, it's a pleasure and an honor. I've followed your work, and I'm so excited to be with you today. Thank you. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a bit more about Will? Sure thing. William D. Parker is the founder of Principal Matters. He's an educator, author, speaker, and executive coach who uses his expertise in school leadership, culture, and communication to equip educators with solutions and strategies for motivating students, inspiring teachers, and reaching communities. An Oklahoma educator since 1993, he was named Broken Arrow Public Schools South Intermediate High School Teacher of the Year. In 1998, he became an assistant principal in 2004 and was named the Oklahoma Assistant Principal of the Year by the National Association of Secondary Principals in 2012. As principal of the Title I school, his school's innovative approaches to collaboration, remediation, and mentoring resulted in marked improvements in student performance. For six years, he served as the Executive Director of Oklahoma's Association of Secondary Principals and the Oklahoma Middle Level Education Association. As founder of Principal Matters, he provides virtual leadership academies, masterminds, executive coaching, and key presentations to help and inspire educators all across the country. His podcast, Principal Matters, the school leadership podcast has more than 1 million downloads with more than 360 episodes available. We'll link to that in the show notes. And he's the author of Principal Matters, Messaging Matters, and Pause, Breathe, Flourish. All right, Will, we're so excited to have you on the show. We're going to jump right in with this first part about this concept of the book that you wrote called Principal Matters, The Motivation, Action, Courage, and Team work needed for school leaders. Not only are we going to talk about the book, we're actually going to give away 10 copies at the end. So we're excited about that for our live audience. But we want to know why you wrote that book and what you want school leaders to take from it. My second year as a school administrator, thank you, TJ, for that introduction and Joe for hosting this conversation. But in my second year as a school administrator, I almost left the profession. I was sitting at home one night, stepping into the same routine that I had for the past year and a half which meant coming home late, barely seeing my children, getting up super early in the morning, working on emails and to-do lists, getting to school, managing fires all day long, not stopping to eat, or if I did, it was something unhealthy, not exercising, gaining weight. I mean, you can just, the list goes on and on and on until my wife sat down with me one night and she said, Will, you have become a shell of the man that you used to be. And that night, instead of working, I actually wrote a letter of resignation, took it into my office, put it on a folder on my desk, and I told myself, I'm either going to begin to discover some better ways 
for how to do this job without losing myself and my family, or I'm just going to leave this profession. And thankfully, I didn't leave the profession. And I also didn't discover overnight how to make it all work. But over the next several years, and fast forward to the year I became Oklahoma's Assistant Principal of the Year, I began to develop some tools and strategies and systems and relationships that were working. And so I decided that I wanted to begin to share that with others. And so when I began to write that book, it was my attempt to share some of those lessons that, have, that kept me motivated, but also some of the ideas that had helped me become a more productive leader, which is why it's called the courage, motivation, action, and teamwork needed for school leaders, because I believe all of those are ingredients necessary for good school leadership. So TJ, that was the, the impetus behind the beginning of that work. Most of our audience are administrators, many of them new administrators. You didn't submit the letter of resignation. I think many people, that story resonates with, it resonates with me for sure. Very tough situation in my very first stint as an AP. Very similar uh, description of what you uh, went through. What made you stay? Because you just admitted it wasn't overnight. So it's not like suddenly you gained all the skills or your outlook changed. And most importantly, didn't like, and that, this wasn't a phrase back then, but you didn't quiet quit. You know, you were showing up, you got better and you, you know, started to do things like you just mentioned with teamwork and some other areas. Is, you know, why didn't you quit? And what were some of those changes that started to occur? Thanks for that question, Joe. Let me first start by saying why self-care was so important to me. Because what I recognized was the capacity for me to continue and sustain the work was being limited by my inability to have the energy and the focus to do it. And so after two years of just stopping taking care of myself, I was suddenly in a place where I was running out of energy. It didn't matter that I was still a young man. I was, I didn't, I no longer had the capacity to keep the work up. So one of the first things that I did was I reprioritized some of my own self-care. For instance, I had, I liked to run and I had stopped exercising. So I made it a goal when I went to bed at night to set out my shoes and my running shorts right beside my bed so that when I got up, I didn't have to search for them because that little bit of inhibition would have kept me from doing it. So I, I prepared the night before for something that was going to help me engage in some self-care. And I just created a route in my neighborhood where I knew I could run, where I didn't have to go anywhere and meet anybody. I just tried to lower the, the bars of resistance as much as I could. And so just those intentional practices of giving myself permission to recharge and reset and have energy um, began to add some return turn some focus to my own mental and, and physical abilities. The second thing I did was I learned to ask for help. And I think part of the challenges that we have as leaders is that we think because we have the courage, the motivation, and sometimes the, the vision to be a leader, that that's going to be enough. And it's not. Every strong leader that I've ever studied or worked for is somebody who understood both sides of the coin. That yes, it does take courage, it does take tenacity, and it does take a never giving up spirit to be a strong leader. But it also requires dependence on others to get the job done. There's no one person who's got the capacity to do this work. And so I had to learn to just start reaching out to the people in my circle at school, my other admin friends, to reach out to teachers, to invite others into that process. And over time, probably the, the, the strongest group I recognized too was connecting with our students, not waiting, not seeing them only as challenges that I needed to address because of discipline, but inviting them into the process of leadership so that we became a community 
of leaders, not just one person trying to get the job done. So I would say self-care and asking for help. And then of course, networking and borrowing ideas. And so I'm a huge proponent of my state principals associations. I'm a huge fan of what you guys are doing through your university work, through your own books and conferences, because what I learned is that when I begin to connect with other people who are in the practice, man, it saves a lot of time when you can borrow ideas, steal ideas, and network around solutions. Hey, Will, I want to double click on something that you mentioned about the, like, I don't want this to get lost on listeners, especially new leaders. I really connected with your story about your first or second year as a assistant principal. Same thing happened to me. My eating habits in particular were horrible. I was not eating anything all day because of the urgent busyness of the day. I was eating junk after work and I wasn't hungry for dinner. And then guess when I was hungry again, right before I went to bed. It was the stupidest, you know, way to behave in terms of food. But the fact that you put your shoes out next to your bed, this is what I want to double click on, which is the habits. And we love the work of, of, of BJ Fogg, Tiny Habits and James Clear, Atomic Habits. But, you know, they talk about decision-making fatigue, that by the time you're so tired from your day, you're not going to get the shoes out at the end of the day and go for that job. You kind of have to either do it first or set it up or do a prompt to make it habitual or it won't happen. Can you talk a little bit more about that in particular and some of the other strategies you use to just eliminate the fact that you're even making a decision in the first place? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. And, and I'm just going to use today as an example. I mean, TJ, I, that story I told you was 2006. And so let's fast forward 2023. And this morning, today, I've had several meetings, trainings, conversations. This is the end of my day for this for this work. And my very first meeting was beginning about nine o'clock central time, but I got up at 5 a.m. and my shoes were sitting out and my shorts were sitting out and I went and got the dog and we went out to that same route that I've had for all these years. And we had a workout this morning because I knew that I wouldn't have time or energy to do it when we finished this conversation. And so habits, I love it that you, so like how you said, I'm going to double click on that. I'm going to steal that. I, I love it that you stopped here because years ago I was not friends, but I was an associate with a, a young composer and he went to our church and he put together this amazing, beautiful Christmas concert every year with all these symphony musicians that would come in. He would write the entire show himself, teach it to these musicians, and then conduct it. And one time in the fall, I heard someone else talking to him across the pew after we were finishing that worship service. And I heard the friend say to him, how's your planning going for the big Christmas concert? And he said, oh, I've been biking every morning. And his friend was like, what's that got to do with the Christmas concert? And he said, oh, if I'm not in like peak physical condition for this season, Season, then there's no way I'll ever reach the goal of producing this concert. And I remember putting that in my thinker because that was back when I was struggling of thinking, wow, high performing individuals first prioritize taking care of themselves so they can do this hard work. And so I'm not saying that to beat up on people because like if you're listening right now and you're like, I don't like to run, then what do you like to do? Maybe you like to walk. Maybe you love to dance. Maybe you like hot yoga. Maybe you just love to get up and move. But setting intentional goals for yourself to do those things that you know help you are going to make you give you the capacity to sustain. Well, a lot of what we're talking about also is just having the right perspective and mindset to just say, look, it's okay for me to do these things. 
You know, I think so often as new administrators, we're afraid that a ball is going to drop. Can you share with our audience ways in which you gain that perspective where you stop operating out of base of fear and really of one of leadership and intentionality where you're, you're driving what you need to do to achieve the goals of the school? Yeah, I'm glad you asked the question that way, Joe, because there's really two dynamics that I see involved in leadership leadership when it comes to overcoming the struggle. And that is identifying, is this a skill problem or is this a will problem? And so there's a lot of skill involved in leadership. And so the tools and strategies, that's a separate question. What you just asked was the will question. What do you do about the mindset and the intentionality that's necessary for you to, to not lose your mind in this work? And I call it holding on to your sanity because sometimes it just feels so overwhelming that you feel like you're losing it. And so some of the things I have to do intentionally, and I'm going to bring this back to your teaching because I, I believe most educators can think of another time in their life when they have felt overwhelmed and figured out a way forward. Maybe that was when you were working your college degree. Maybe that was your first real job. Maybe that was when you were a classroom teacher. So if you're listening to this and you're a school administrator, the question I began to ask myself is, what were those lessons I've learned in the past that I can apply now to the work that I'm doing? And so that intentionality brought me back to some of the same things that were happening in those previous settings, which is why I began with what can you do that's within your control to take care of you, because that's something that is going to be very intentional. And then the second question you have to ask yourself is, who else can I reach out to and say, I need help that may be providing me with some of those skills that I'm needing or support that I'm needing right now I don't have. And so, but that intentional focus of asking other people means that you're no longer adapting this misconception that you're a superhero. I call it tucking your cape and ask for help because you can't do this alone. So, so that intention of reaching out and asking other people. And then the last thing I think that's an important step to keep in mind for is I call it one shovel at a time or one rake at a time. Because when I was in college, one of my jobs was landscaping, lawn care. And one weekend, um, some college friends and I were invited to clear out this five acre property that was completely covered in trees. And when we showed up, you know what that looks like. It's just like this blank, the sea of, of leaves. And I was the guy talking to my friend who was kind of in charge of the day saying, dude, I don't think we can do this. All we have are these rakes. And I mean, this is this is way more property than they told us it was going to be. And, and I'll never forget, he looked right at me and he said, Will, we're never going to get it done unless we start one rake at a time. And so he got out there and started raking and then I started raking. And then pretty soon we figured out, we got this blanket and pulled it in. We could, we could put the leaves on that. And then somebody brought out a mower to drag the blankets in. But you know, we figured out how to clear that entire yard in one day, but we started one rake at a time. Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, Joe, but for me, it's just helpful to make it simple again. Think about those things that you can do to protect your own capacity to reach out to others for help. And then what's the next thing that I can do to move the needle forward? I think that's powerful insight, you know, especially for new leaders listening, Will, but I, I think there's a lot there. I wrote that down. Who else can I reach out to for help in this area as a prompt to use? I think literally people need prompts and reminders and mantras and the one rake at a time is a great mantra coupled to that story. The day can be daunting. I mean, when you're, you know, 1600 kids are descending into your school, it can be daunting. And so there's important work and then there becomes urgent work and people need sayings and mantras and strategies to make sure that they're sticking with the important. Everybody who's listening now, we know you're busy. And so it's making sure that we're getting the leaves raked up and not just staring at them wondering how we're going to do it. I love 
love that. I would love to shift gears a tad, if you don't mind. We have some questions that we like to ask that our school leaders get a ton from. And I think a good transitional question here for that is some of your favorite resources that support teaching, learning, and leadership in schools. Of course, we're going to link to your books, but do you have some go-tos in terms of things that you recommend specifically for leaders who are maybe just getting started? You know, something that you would say, this is a must read, this is a prerequisite, or this is a place to go? Yeah, well, I was familiar with some of the questions that you guys ask in these settings. So I wrote down a few, TJ and Joe. First one for teaching, and, and this is going to date me, but I'm just telling you, it became my Bible. And that was Harry Wong's First Days of School, How to Be an Effective Teacher. I read it every single summer, probably for the first three, maybe four years of my education, because it works. And so understanding the importance of processes, procedures, and structures so that you can get to creativity and discovery and curiosity, they go hand in hand. So that's a big one. For learning, I'm a big fan of Leanne Nicholson and Melissa Dixon's book called Teaching with Instructional Cha-Cha's, Four Steps to Making Learning Stick. And that's just such a practical reminder of the cycle of learning. Every cycle of learning that you step into, of course, begins with not knowing what you don't know, but then identifying what you do know. And then, of course, beginning to practice those things and then revisiting and reframing and recalibrating the practice to make sure you get it right. And so that book is, is a great resource. And then I don't know what, what you guys are going to think about this title, but I, I when I was thinking about a resource for leadership, I was sitting on this for quite a while when I thought to myself, I'm going to recommend this because I'm an old English teacher, but I love the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. And, and the reason I'm mentioning this as a leadership resource is because in that narrative, you have this epic story of a mission. And in that epic story of mission, what you really have are ordinary characters from a diversity and complexity of, of places and backgrounds and people groups who over time prove how extraordinarily they can rise up to immeasurable challenges. And I don't know about you, but in this work, and I'm just speaking straight back to the people listening right now, I'm going to guess that you see yourself, and I do too, as a very ordinary person who's called to do extraordinary work, which is serving kids. And sometimes I think we fail to recognize the capacity that we have to serve and do great things because we keep expecting someone else to show up and do it. When in fact, usually it's going to be us. And I'm not saying that to look at ourselves as some hero complex, but I'm just saying, it, I think it's important to recognize that every single day as an educator, you're doing something heroic and serving kids and taking care of families and rescuing kids from tough situations and mediating conflict and crisis. And in my opinion, educators, even though culture says that, oh, we love our teachers on one hand and on the other hand, they're beating them up in mean, culture war. I think at the end of the day, for those of us that work in schools, man, we get to be surrounded by those kinds of people. And so when I think about like stories of heroes and leaders, I think back to that epic story because it just reminds me when I see Frodo battling to get up that hill, that little hobbit, and yet his strength and courage actually reached the mission. It just reminds me of what it's like to be a teacher. I absolutely love that, Will. I, I like it for a couple different reasons. One, we often hear what you started with, like the Harry Wongs, which I don't think that book ever gets outdated, first off. It, it is a classic, and there's reasons why classics stay, and that's a book that should stay, period. And if you haven't read that, if you're listening, I wouldn't go another day of your life without reading it. Even as an administrator to help you know what to expect from your first year teacher. Sometimes we need that guide as well. But that the notion of rise up to measurable challenges, you know, we are called to do that. And I think we lose sight sometimes of some of the great work we're doing and finding those stories through entertainment and great books, novels. You know, I think that diversity really can help shape our thinking. I appreciate that. 
immensely. Along that line, as an administrator, principal, is there a favorite resource that you have to support teaching and learning? I know you mentioned about the uh, instructional book, and then you just mentioned with uh, Harry Wong. Um, this can be a book, but this is also just a resource that you know that just seems to drive success, student achievement, teacher success. Is there one that you really appreciate and utilize? Yeah, there's a book I've leaned on a lot when it comes to helping leaders deeply in the conversation about school culture. And there's some great books out there. I'll mention a couple here, but the first one I want to mention is Transforming School Culture by Anthony Muhammad. And what I love about this book is that Dr. Muhammad spent a lot of time in researching this book by visiting schools across the U.S. and trying to identify the difference between the difference makers between toxic and healthy school cultures. And he divides them into four categories, believers, tweeners, fundamentalists, and survivors. And what I enjoy about his research, but also about the applications are that it's a, just a good mirror to hold up to yourself, to ask, where am I in the influence of my school culture? Am I becoming toxic or am I staying healthy? And just by studying the kinds of people that he encounters in his research, it's a great way to hold a mirror up to yourself. Then it's also a great mirror to hold up to your staff and ask them to examine themselves. Where are you falling in terms of these tendencies? Because schools that are identified with toxic cultures are predominantly influenced by those fundamentalists or those survivors, those people that are on the edge of self-protection or they're burned out. And schools with the healthiest cultures are those who are mostly influenced by people that are strong believers in student outcomes, or even those younger educators, those tweeners who are still learning, but that they're holding on to that passion and that vision. And so Dr. Muhammad's work has been really pivotal. Of course, I would also point to Jimmy Casas and his book, Culturize. Jimmy does such a great job of reminding us. He has a podcast series right now called The Interview Chair, which is him recommending that every educator consistently revisit who you were when you interviewed for the position that you're in and making sure that you stay true to those values. So those are a couple of, of resources. We appreciate Appreciate that. We'll link to those, including first days of school, transforming school culture and culturize. We'll link to those in the show notes. And those are must reads for our audience. We've interviewed Jimmy. We would love to have Anthony on the show. And so thanks for pointing to those resources. I'm wondering if we're staying in that same vein, if there's somebody outside of education you're thinking about in terms of leadership. Look, I know John Gordon has blurbed at least one of your books. So I know you're into his work, but if you could point to, you know, outside of education, I think a lot of times we get steeped in our own kind of culture and our own kind of works. But Joe and I have learned a lot from looking outside of the profession. And so is there anything that you could call to attention for our uh, listeners? Yeah, I could sit here for a long time because there's so many, but I'll mention a few. Um, first, I'm a big fan of podcasts and audiobooks because for me, they're the way that I learn when I'm commuting, traveling, doing the dishes or mowing the yard. I mean, I've, these are all the ways that I've tried to like jam learning into those times when you feel like you're not learning, but maybe you can turn them into learning. So for instance, right now I'm listening to Think Again by Adam Grant, which is just a great audiobook. I'm a big fan of Hidden Brain, the podcast with Shankar Vedantam, which just really studies the psychology behind why we do what we do. I'm a big fan of a new podcast by Guy Kawasaki called Remarkable People, where he just interviews people that do extraordinary things in their own field. So he's had Carol Dweck on, he's had some just amazing people within industry, business, and education 
education as well. And then a friend of mine, um, Dr. Tim Elmore, is a good friend of mine, but also the author of a series called Habitudes. And Tim did a lot of work with John Maxwell's group. When he was a younger leader, he, he did the youth division of that work for a long time until he started his own company called Growing Leaders. And Tim's work, I love it because he's always figuring out a way to apply your values to your leadership. And so Tim's work in, in Habitudes has been really inspiring for me. And then I'll mention one of my uh, friends. Those are a lot of men. So I'm going to mention a woman leader. Jen Schwanke is a friend of mine who is an educator, but she's a friend and consistent sorts of clarity for me. She wrote a book called You're the Principal, Now What? She does co-host my podcast too, but I just lean on her a lot for wisdom and perspective. Let me say one more. Or, no, two more. Sorry. I, I wrote these down. So I don't want to forget them. One is Michael Hyatt. He wrote a book called Platform, Get Noticed in a Noisy World. And that was actually the book I read the year I became the assistant principal of the year when I decided to start blogging. And it was actually something that motivated me to write my first book. So I'll stop there because I could keep going. Well, if I may, that's a, a lot of different resources. I think TJ and I often talk about devouring information. Can you talk though a little bit about how you turn that into actionable effort, actionable work, strategize, you know, that information or synthesize it, if you will, because a lot of times, you know, we can talk about books, we can talk about resources, but if it's not leading to anything of matter, then it really doesn't matter. Yeah. So could you talk about how the strategies you use to take that knowledge, that information and transform it into something useful? Now, I'm probably a, a nerd when it comes to reflection and application, Joe, but I'm, I'll try to answer your question in a way that might help others. And I want to come back to something I said earlier. I want you to think about a good classroom setting and you know how learning happens. Learning happens when you've discovered something new and then you try it and apply it and then you decide, did it work or not work? And then you refine it. And so when I'm listening to books, when I'm encountering lessons from other people, when I'm digesting a podcast, my brain is consistently thinking of those questions. What am I discovering here that I didn't know? How can I now apply it to my work? What did I learn when I applied it to my work? Reflection. And then what can I refine from that application that can help me be better and share it with other people? And so I don't know if that answers your question, but those are the cycles that just go over my brain over and over and over again. And, and so I think my family probably thinks I have a problem because I, I like to share what I'm learning too. So I'm always trying to find somebody to listen, which is probably why I started a podcast to just share the lessons I'm learning as I go through that cycle. That's the teacher in you, Will. That's the teacher in you. I love it. <laughs> well, and I also think that those reflection questions are critical. A lot of times, I mean, I think that's what Joe's pointing at is that we think we're going to read and remember, we're going to devour, we're going to, we like, think about the steps. You've got to read. That's hard. You've got to find the time to read. That's hard. You've got to select the right works even harder. Then you got to have reflection questions enough to get you to move and act in a different way from the reading. I mean, it is hard to translate what we're listening to and what we're reading into practice. And the, we know the average CEO reads 60 books a year, some, you know, obviously more than that. And it's the ones who are able to put that into practice that really make the difference. Knowing is one thing, doing is different. So we appreciate the reflection questions. We're going to point to those in the show notes because they're useful and it's something that leaders can take away from. Yeah. Can I have one more thought? And sure this thing. is for folks listening in because it sounds overwhelming to think about accessing content, adding, you know, applying it, especially when you're in the middle of the hard work you're doing. So let me just give you a simple suggestion. And that is, I want you to think of one thing today, one challenge today that you went through and then ask yourself the question, what did I learn from that challenge? And then ask yourself the question, if I had to go through it again, what would I have done differently? And then share that with one person. You just did the cycle. You did the cycle with your practice. So you can do that cycle with the things you're learning, but you can also do the cycle 
cycle with the things you're experiencing. And keeping that mindset helps you also have perspective on the work. You know, that's a great, a great piece of advice. It's also a great way to end because it's an awesome call to action for our listeners, both for the live show and those listening after the production of this. Well, this has been phenomenal. Um, we know how busy you are. We know that your time is precious. We know that you've got to get to a game here in a little bit too. Is there anything else that you would like to add and with request of, uh, of our audience? I want to end with two statements that are going to sound contradictory, but I'm going to say them anyway, because I think as leaders, sometimes we need to hear this. The first one's going to sound mean. You are not as important as you think you are. And let me park there. Sometimes we think this school would, could never run without me. And the truth is someday it will. In fact, someday they're not even going to remember who you were. You're going to, you're going to be that black and white photo on the wall that you'll walk by, that you're walking by right now. And you're going to, I wonder who that was. So I think it's important to hold on to the humility of the position that you have. Someday your school will exist without you. And then my second statement is going to sound like it contradicts it. And that is this, you are more important than you think you are, which means that even though history may forget our names, the people that you're serving right now, today and tomorrow, that conversation that you have, that 60 seconds that you give someone, that empathy that you're showing, that accountability that you're measuring out, all of those things, care and the concern and the courage that you're exercising today are making your school a better place. And so it's important to, I believe as a leader, to both hold on to the humility, but also to be present in the work that you're doing because you're not as important as you think you are, but you're way more important than you think you are. It's phenomenal. I've taken pages of notes from this interview. Will, I mean, I can't think of anything better for new leaders, for leaders listening, for school leaders out there who want to lead better, who want to grow faster, who want to stay focused, as we always say. We really, really appreciate your time. Well, thank you guys. And I appreciate you, Joe and TJ. You guys are just producing so many wonderful resources for education leaders. So congratulations on your good work and best wishes. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Fantastic. And how about a virtual round of applause for Will Parker? We know we have a live audience here this evening and we thank them for, for listening in. As always, don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Focus Ed. Until then, stay focused. Hey leaders, before you go, one more announcement. We now have available for you our candid and compassionate feedback masterclass. Really, because of high demand, we are thrilled to offer this. This is a course that we run live and in person all the time, and leaders love it. They learn to give feedback with skills that they can use right away, including better praise to lift and celebrate your team. It's now available in a virtual online format that you can take on your own, self-paced, from the comfort of your office or home. Here's what you'll get. There are 11 lessons with a focus on nine candor cancellations that we wrote in our Candid and Compassionate Feedback book. These are mistakes that leaders make that we don't want you to make anymore. We'll teach you models so that your feedback is meaningful and we'll give you tools necessary to build the culture that you always wanted. Trust us, without these critical skills, you're not capitalizing on your own capacity to lead better and grow faster. Go to the site, theschoolhouse302.com, click on shop courses, add this course to your cart and start learning today.